0: Welcome back to the Digital Sociology Podcast. This is episode four with me, Chris Till, in this series where I'm talking to people who are doing interesting stuff in digital sociology, looking at digital society, digital culture and related kind of issues of identity, capitalism, etc. In this episode, I'm talking to Louise Reed, who is at the School of Geography and Sustainable Development at the University of St. Andrews and I spoke to her at the um, the British Sociological Association conference um, as um, I did with a, a few of the interviews in this series and I spoke to Louise about her work on um, sustainable development and uh, particularly the use of uh, smart devices at, at home and the impact that has on how people engage with their energy usage Um, so she's interested in issues around low carbon living and what she describes as domestic energy prosumption uh, which is uh, this notion of uh, production consumption merged into one Um, but also she's got a lot of interesting things to say about how she's used uh, innovative qualitative uh, digital online methods Uh, in particular she talks about uh, some analysis she's done of um, mum's net discussions, uh, which she thinks uh, presents data which perhaps couldn't have been uh, found in any other way, or would have been very difficult to. Um, if you want to subscribe to this series or go back and listen to some of the the previous ones, you can find out more about all of these podcasts on my website. This is not a sociology blog, and you can follow me on Twitter at Chris H Till, and on both of those. Uh, places you should be able to find links to uh, to the podcasts uh, on SoundCloud and, and and iTunes, and you should be able to subscribe there. So here's my discussion with Louise. So I'm here back again at the uh, at the BSA, and I'm talking to uh, Louise Reed. So hi Louise. Hello. <laughs> hi. So um, we've kind of ensconced ourselves in a little corner of. Um, uh, Manchester University um, to have a have a bit of a chat about uh, some of Louise's work, and uh, we were just talking about actually. So Louise, um, you're a, a, a geographer, really?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, a geographer by background, by training. Um, yeah, I've become sort of infiltrated sociology and anthropology, mm. um, more recently, can kind of been um, grabbed by a lot of the social practice theory in the context of trying to understand what what is sustainable and what isn't sustainable but kind of everyday domestic life particularly in the context of energy and um, I have been thinking more about not just developing concepts and theories related to those themes but thinking about how do, the mechanics of doing research and um, playing around with or experimenting with some kind of online methods initially which then made me realise that there's this whole other set of debates about virtual digital online and sort of being trying to grapple with the distinctions between them and what they offer and um i don't because i don't think necessarily they've been fully understood in geography Mm -hmm. which is why i've kind of started to become more interested in some of the anthropological and sociological work in that area because i think those disciplines are a bit further ahead in thinking about the implications of not just the method but of what being a bit more critical about why these methods exist who uses them what they, you know, what is the kind of politics around them and, and where they come from and, and who's, who's benefiting from them so I think those are answers that are being dealt with in sociology in a way perhaps they aren't in geography and so that's why it's interesting to me to find out more about what yeah. the digital sociology is about and it's interesting that it's a digital sociology not online sociology or virtual sociology. Yes,
0: yeah, and it, but it's, it's interesting that you say that as well because a discussion just just uh, both been in, in terms of um, that actually... There's a lot of people within sociology and involving digital sociology that are constantly thinking we're behind the times on this. We're not. We're not. We're not kind of doing enough. Um, and actually, other disciplines are kind of ahead of us on this. But it's interesting. You kind of you think that actually maybe well, geography is not.
1: I think. I think. I think, think geography has dealt with mm. um, virtual digital. Online, but in a very different way. Yeah. So there is a lot of literature around geolocation around mm. um, in the context of space and place and how that connects with the digital and the online. Um, there's been some, you know, um, Rob Kitchen's done some really nice stuff around code space and thinking about mm. how how um, different algorithms create space. Um, but I think. Possibly, and and there's also obviously literature about surveillance mm. and and the use of the digital for surveillance. But again, I think that's often tied to particular places or institutions or spaces, and thinking about how that plays out. And but again, that, uh, some of the more surveillance-based literature is based is does is informed by sociology. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think the distinction between geography and sociology perhaps isn't actually that strong. No, but I do no. think the way that. disciplines have approached the idea of digital has been fairly distinctive and I think that for me certainly the way in which it's been approached in sociology is more aligned with the types of things that I'm interested Mm. in rather than how it's been dealt with in geography.
0: So the work that you've been kind of um, working on this is around um, Energy consumption?
1: Yeah, so looking at everyday domestic practices Mm. in the context of energy, and my project at the moment specifically looks at renewable energy installations. So, in the context of heat, because we have obviously big concerns about energy security, about emissions, Mm. and heat is one aspect that's really neglected. So, a lot of the focus is on electricity a lot of the time, and heat, just by very nature of what it is the physics of it? It's much harder to track mm. and to monitor. So um, the heat's been under um, understudied, I suppose. So we've been looking at renewable inst- energy installations in the context of heat. It's, is
0: that because it's less easily kind of quantified yes. compared okay. to electricity? Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Partly. Partly. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, the really interesting thing about that area is that there's still a lot of very. Um, sociological-inspired and econometric-inspired thinking is how we can get people to install these types of technologies, right? So if we make the market right or if we put in the right financial incentives, people will install, and, 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 and that's great, and that's all we need to think about. When actually, what we've been trying to challenge is that very assumption, and to draw attention to the fact that these technologies are co creative of everyday domestic life and that um,
0: What kind of technologies are you talking about then?
1: So a range of different things we haven't, we've we've written one paper about um, solar thermal in particular but um, in our most recent set of data collection we looked at biomass ground source heat pumps um, air heat pump, air source heat pumps so we haven't really we tried not to be too discriminatory in terms of the technology it's more about how does the what's the relationship between technology and everyday domestic life that's more of what we're trying to get at and and we're looking about it in the context of renewable energy installations but I mean I think probably what we're trying to say is is beyond that particular type of, of installation and about how people interact with different types of technologies in in everyday domestic context in very mundane banal ways which actually is surprisingly difficult to get people to talk about because they think it's really insignificant, or it's just things that they take as part of their everyday taken for granted. Yeah. yeah. Ways of just being. Yeah. Um. So I mean, the installation part is obviously. Uh, Significant in the sense that it, pre- it, pre- it presents something that's a bit different from normal everyday it's a disruption, life. Disruption, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, you know. And normally, what we're what we're finding is that normally it coincides with some other kind of improvement to their home. Mm. So one of the things we've been talking about is how you know we can't just think about these installations in in isolation, which is what a lot of the policy and some of the literature mm. does do, is that we need to think about how they're joined up with other domestic practices. Um, but what's fascinating is the way in which these. Installations, once they're in place, how they're used, the extent to which people, the extent to which they um, change the practices, everyday practices, or not. Um, And I think that's something that we don't really understand that well. So, what we've been trying to do is to try and figure out ways of trying to get at that banal, mundane Mm. detail that. I think when you sit down and talk to somebody or go to their home, they don't tell you about it because they don't think it's important or relevant Yeah. so that's why we started playing around with some um, online sites to look at how people were talking about, well initially we did it as a way to prepare ourselves for the solicited online research but I think we found it the discussions that we find online were much more interesting than we had anticipated in terms of the level of detail that people gave and the the exchange of information that was going on Um, so that's kind of what sparked much more engaging with these kind of debates in digital sociology as we're kind of thinking, hang on a minute this is maybe a method or a way of trying to understand everyday domestic life that we wouldn't be able to access by talking to people or by visiting in, in their homes so um, we started from that very you know, initial point and I think now we're to think a bit more critically about OK, so these four exist, these methods exist, but why do they exist? How did they get there? How does it influence the nature of the research that we, we do or we might want to do, or the nature of the data that we can find? And I think we... Um, initially obsessed about ethics in terms of the availability of data consent and all those types of issues which are important. But I think now we're beginning to scratch our heads a little bit more and think about, well hang on a minute, there's a whole other hidden underworld of these online spaces in terms of the algorithms that are used and developed and how do they come into being and what purpose do they serve and I think you can't do research on Using online spaces and online data without being reflective of where the data comes from and how it gets yeah. there, and so that's kind of where we're, that's a bit the kind of backstory of how we why and how we've got to this point.
0: Is that's so loads of things we want to ask about, actually. But so first of all, what kind of forms uh, were you looking so at? So
1: we want one of the things, one of the big critiques of research that's about environmental practices or behaviours, however you want to approach it, is that. Often you talk to people who are relatively self selecting. So, um, you know, even the even the, the idea of speaking to people with renewable energy installations presumes that they have had some kind of, that there's a very normative thing going on there in the sense that they, they have some desire to protect the environment yeah. and they install it, right? And I think what we're keen to do is to try and find, to try and access accounts of living with these types of technologies that. That wasn't necessarily for environmental reasons. And okay. so we initially went to forums like DIY online forums or platforms. Um, we looked at Amazon reviews around particular products. Okay. But what we found most interesting was Mum's Net, which is an absolutely enormous yeah. website, which is about parenting. So it's not in the least bit environmentally in terms of its constitution no. um, so I had a baby <laughs> about just under two years ago and I really at the process of being pregnant I was really inter- you know you kind of always look for advice and, and mums that just come up time and time again and I started to think hang on a minute there's some really valuable stuff in here about parenting about pregnancy does the same thing apply in the context of renewable energy so Started to do a bit of searching on Mum's net, and lo and behold, it did. And it was quite hard work to find it because we. So this is what we did the solar thermal work on. When you put when you search for solar or. or terminology you want, people often conflate different types of technology and we were trying very to look at a very specific type of technologies just to provide some kind of control because we I mean the so website's absolutely enormous and yeah. the, the number of comments would be huge. So um and in doing that we, we began to realise that the way in which people describe these accounts, or describe their experiences of these types of technology, was far more detailed than a we had anticipated, or b than we had managed to achieve in interviews or in house tours, and that's really what sparked it.
0: So you, um, for you, there's there's actually a kind of a qualitative difference of the kind of data yep. that can that can be uh, collected and then analysed from these rather than from. Uh, Solicited one to one interviews or or anything like that. Um, Do you have any insights to why that is?
1: Um, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is that I think there's this kind of cloak of anonymity that people Mm. can hide behind when they create their handles for any of these forums. Mm. So, you know, you can pretend to be. Knight in white shining armor you know you don't yeah. you don't need to be Louise Reed, and yeah. I think perhaps that possibly does it, but I think there are other things too I think people use that forum to get advice or to give advice and whereas the academic interview isn't about advice right it's about telling stories and finding out about people's stories so the, fundamentally it's fundamentally a different kind of interaction. It's a different kind of interaction. And so, you know, if you're having a, an, an interview with somebody, with an academic, you maybe don't see their skill set as knowing about the size of, or the diameter of pipes for hot water. Yeah. But you can go on to Mumsnet and you can say, right, I want to install this type of technology. My plumber has suggested this type of pipe. Um, I've heard somebody else on here mentioned I should get, like, mm-hmm. you know... A, uh, 25 mil one. So, what's the difference? Who should, whose who's mm-hmm. rights? Is it the plumber? Is it the Energy Savings Trust? And why would I go for one of those things? And that level of detail we've, we've, we've find fascinating because it, it talks to us more about the extent to which these installations are connected with other wider infrastructure in the home. So, for instance, if you want to put in an installation, a solar thermal installation, you want to make sure you've got the right water pressure. You want to make sure you've got the right volume of water, um, and so actually the plumbing infrastructure of the home is really important. And people are also often installing these things when they might be upgrading a bathroom, or and so, or and thinking about the future and who might the demand that might there might be for um, different types of heating or hot water arrangements. So that type and level of detail is something that we gained from those accounts which we haven't done in interviews and I think it's partly it's those two things that I've mentioned already but I think participants in th- think, I don't know if they have grand notions of what it is that you want to achieve in an interview and what it is you want to find out but I think that level of mundane stuff, I, th- I wonder if they think is irrelevant to the nature of an interview and What's so they the, just yeah. don't mention it Yeah or the other beauty of the of mums net or mums network is that we've gone back, you know, so we've looked at accounts or boards that have been active for two or three years, and so you can see, you can see over time There's how those discussions yeah. have evolved, and that's been really useful because um, as policy environments have changed, as financial incentives have changed, as as, as practices of plumbing of Um, some of these companies have changed then then conversations have developed and people will also return to a conversation so you can see, you might see somebody who got a piece of advice returning two years later to then talk about their experiences to help somebody else so I think that longitudinal nature as well is something that is fascinating and it's difficult to achieve sometimes in qualitative research unless you've got a big research team or lots of funding exactly. over over yeah. a period of years. So and, and it's, it's it's you know you can you can do this stuff sitting on your sofa. Exactly, yeah. You can you can you know you'd, okay you the the downside of the downside of it is it's very difficult to understand the context within which these participants mm. Are living, you know, so they, t- they can, you know, you may be able to track them in other forums and other boards, but it, you, you don't have that richness that you have in an interview where you might go to somebody's home and you can figure out where they live in that context. So yeah. it isn't infallible and it, it isn't a replacement, but for some, th- some types of data, it, I think it is useful.
0: Yeah, um, and I think it's really interesting that you're saying that you're getting more of, or some of that um, awareness of how that particular device or, or, or thing was kind of integrated with other aspects of the home Yeah. Um, because of perhaps partly because of the kind of problem solving nature of going on and asking a question about yeah. oh, so I've got this thing but it, this is how it works with my boiler or this is how yeah. it works with my gas fire or whatever it happens to be um, which again maybe perhaps wouldn't necessarily come up in, a, in an interview yeah. uh, something we've seen as relevant um, how um, just Interest, how were you extracting the data? Were you simply kind of reading well? It this the screen, is the thing. Or... This is
1: this is the interesting thing, right? So we started just doing that, just doing plain searches and and getting it off the screen, and then we started to find. That at the same time, we were obviously reading much more about research methods, and we um, encountered the. Um, research methods initiative at Amsterdam mm. and Richard Rogers and yeah. all of his work around natively digital and the distinction between you know conventional research methods that are extended into online worlds and, and then methods which are natively digital which use, use data because, only because the online world exists and we found some of their tools about, with scraping and all the rest mm. of it and so we did play around with some of those, um, div- those methods or techniques. But we have sort of just come back to with using conventional and, I suppose, ethno- ethnographic types of, yeah. of processes. Um, I don't know if that's because those are the things that we know and we feel comfortable with or perhaps because we found the scrape, I mean initially the scraping we were just amazed, it was, amaz- it was a revelation, but I think we maybe weren't that confident in understanding how it worked and, yeah. and I think we're it also isn't a tool or a technique that's particularly widely understood in social science and I think that perhaps put a, you know when you talk to another human geographer about ethnography or participant yeah, yeah. observation, they're you know they know what you're on about, if you talk yeah. to them about scraping they're kind of like what? So we did play around with those types of techniques and tools, but we didn't see a massive advantage. And I think a lot of them are just tools. So yeah. it doesn't have the disciplinary, ontological, critical history that ethnography has, for example, which you can draw on if you say you use ethnographic methods
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're probably, as I understand it, they're more specific tools. Well, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, that's um, the. Methods Institute uh, in Amsterdam. Their tools are very much about mapping issues yep. and how kind of particular kind of groups or whatever are connected online, rather than. I mean, I imagine um, they may not be necessarily appropriate for the kind of analysis you're you're interested in. Well,
1: I think the scraping thing is. It is. Yeah. So I don't think that's all they do. I think they have quite a broad range yeah, of different yeah. tools. I think that's what, maybe what they're most known right, for. Right. Okay. Yes. Um, but I think it talks to a wider issue about the extent to which social scientists can pick up what are essentially computational Mm. tools and techniques and use them to do social science research and I think for us initially they seemed incredibly attractive Mm. because there is a certain ease and convenience but the more we thought about it and the more we played around with them, I think, I don't know if it's just because it was a familiarity with what we've used in the past, mm. but we, we have sort of rejected them in, in, in a way. And I think um, there's a lot more we can do in this area and we can think about it more fully, but it, um, I think it doesn't fundamentally change the nature of social science research, as in. What is it you're trying to achieve? No. Um, why are you trying to achieve that? And I, I, I sometimes think it's easy just to use tools and to forget about your really fundamental social science concepts
0: that yes. inform how you do yeah, research,
1: yeah. and that's the danger of some of those digital yeah. Techniques. What are your concepts,
0: What are your research questions? Yeah. Is what you're actually interested in finding out?
1: So we we still. I mean, I, I still play around with them, but. Mm. Um, I don't know I just keep going back to what I know yes
0: yeah. Um, the other thing is you mentioned briefly about ethics Yeah. Um, and so I assume part of what you think about there is a kind of the anonymization and uh, the, the use of someone's um, writings in this case which haven't been given through uh, consent um, so how did you because I know people deal with this in quite different ways actually and there's, there's, there's various different angles on this how did you manage that
1: Quite naively, mm-hmm. um, so we got ethical approval for doing it from 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 the university. On the basis that these accounts were, even though they weren't for research purposes, they were in the public domain, and people had posted these accounts knowing that other people could read them. Mm. Um, I think that was kind of the approach that our ethics committee took in terms of reviewing it. However. Having now become a lot more familiar with the debates, I don't. I don't know if I should say this in a podcast, but I don't.
0: So I can edit it out. <laughs> I don't.
1: I don't know how up to date our ethics committees are with some of the implications of the type of work that 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 come with this yeah. area. So. I think if I was on the Ethics Committee and I saw an application like the one that I made, now, knowing what I know now, I possibly would be asking a few more questions. Um, but I'm not on the Ethics Committee. No. I think sometimes that's where you really need people who are confident in computational methods because I think perhaps they understand where the data comes from, how it's got there who, you know, the kind of commercialisation and yeah. all those kinds of aspects and I'm not sure enough social scientists are literate in those types no. of debates um,
0: I mean, Do you think that really ideally what you should be doing is is, is kind of paraphrasing the text rather than t- taking it directly or do you think it's okay to take the text? I mean,
1: so we so in in the papers that we've written up which are under review so it would be interesting to see what um, reviewers say in response to that we have taken direct quotes but we've made it very we've attributed the sources in a very clear way so that because they are publicly available mm-hmm. right. so if you're going to do an interview with a government official who agreed for the data to be attributable you would attribute it yeah and so the principle is kind of similar mm-hmm. except the person that you persons are kind using a mum's net didn't doesn't know that their data is going to be used for research purposes in the same way that you might get consent for an interview with your with your government official i suppose morally from a personal perspective i don't think the type of research that i do necessarily causes harm to people is upset or it's upsetting you know it's not it's not we're not talking about miscarriage bereavement you know it's it's In my mind, it is quite mundane, Mm. um, which is why it's interesting. Which is why it's interesting, but I think there, you know, so in ethics, what you're concerned about is causing harm or distress Mm. to your participants, and I'm not sure that the way that we, the the topic that we are using the data to explore, would do that. Mm. Um, So there's a few different things in the mix there, but it is a really sticky, difficult Mm. issue. I've been speaking to um, speaking somebody working with somebody in the Netherlands recently who has is has much more familiar, familiarity with these types of methods and just would not do what we had done with Mum's Net which I find out about afterwards. But you know I think I think it's there's data out there. Mm. Right? just because there's data doesn't mean we necessarily should use it. No. So and I think that's a big it's easy for social scientists now to find data about everyday mundane life Mm. the question is the ethical question and moral question is should we use these data Mm. when they're not collected for research purposes i don't know the answer to that one no (laughs) i have done it yeah (laughs) before i started thinking about those types of issues probably um Mm. but I think that's what marks out as a critical social scientist is that you are reflecting on your practice course, and, yeah. and you're learning from the things that you do and you might not do things differently in the future so yeah. I mean I still stand by the research and I think it's been an interesting experience for us and for me in particular to find out or to access different ways of getting data which is different in nature from what you might achieve in an interview for instance um, but the whole wider environment around these types of data is something that I just don't think social scientists are engaging with fully enough at all.
0: Yeah. Um, be- before I let you go, um, you did also mention uh, something which I wanted to pick up on, which was the issue of trying to unpick or understand in some ways the, 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 uh, the role that the algorithms or the, kind of the, the, the systems and kind of, I suppose the political economy behind these, these sites... Um, impacts on that Have, is that something you've been able to kind of analyze and, and incorporate into that into that research no no
1: no that's I know, a level of awareness that's only come fairly recently yeah. after the, the work but I think that's the nature of these things isn't it you you we, we just sort of got carried away with doing with, with yeah, accessing yeah. this data because we were kind of like wow this is amazing stuff and I think you know, you come to conferences like this, or you read new papers. That just with such a such a, a quickly evolving and dynamic area of academic scholarship that you kind of think about these things yes. down the line. You know, and um, so it's not something that we did at the time, but um, it's something I would find difficult to do research like that without knowing more about the algorithms. Um, I mean, I was quite naive. I didn't realise... I mean, I suppose you think there's something going on when you've after you go onto Google after you've been on Amazon and down yeah. the right-hand side you see adverts for stuff that yeah. you were looking at on Amazon and you kind of make the connection. But, you know, I think I, was, I have been quite naive about how the mechanics of that... Mm. Um, and I think... I think probably that's quite common in many social scientists is you might observe something like that in, in, in a very anecdotal way mm. but the way in which that then translates and informs the way that you do research mm. perhaps is, is not so... It's not certainly not something that I thought about until fairly recently and I think that's because I've deliberately exposed myself to more of the literature in this area yeah. I don't think many social scientists no. have done that to the same extent, and and that's why I'm up, that's why I came to 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 these events today because there are issues that I'm really grappling with, and I don't see being discussed in geography. Yeah. Or not at least not in the type not in the context of everyday domestic mundane no. lives. You know, I've kind of talked already about some of Rob Kitchen's stuff and yeah. you know Gillian Rose and but. I've, Yeah, I don't think it's something that the field, the subfield that I work in, have really thought about.
0: I suppose one of the challenges for actually analysing that is that actually, by definition, everyone's experience of these things is different because that's how they work. They're they're developing individual, or even kind of below level of individual kind of uh, profiles, and so you can't necessarily you can see what what's designed for you, um, but not necessarily for someone else Um, um, in terms of observing it looking back at the structures and, and, and how they're designing it um again that those things can be quite secretive Yep. um so that's 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 tricky but that's yeah certainly something to think about um i think for, for any of us working in in this area um, but um thanks for speaking to okay. me it's been fascinating and um hope you enjoy the rest of the conference
1: thank you thanks
0: So there was my chat with Louise, please do get in touch on Twitter or on my blog if you have any comments or questions or points you want to make. Um, next time I'll be talking to Holly Powell-Jones about her work on young people and their use of um, the internet and social media and their perceptions and understandings and experiences of crime and risk online. The theme music the intro and the outro are from welcome to video game island by mole and the incidental music is by jonas78 and is disco stomp and they're both used on a creative commons license see you next time